Father God, you are so good to us. Father, it's good to be in your house. It's good to be one of probably millions of Christ-following churches. Father, we pray that your name would be exalted all over the world, as it rightly should. We pray as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that you would speak truth from your word into our lives, that we would understand the necessity of connectedness, of growing in Christ, and of going to a world that is lost and sharing the love of Christ. Father, we want to remember this day, I'm sure it was already mentioned, A day 15 years ago where our freedom was attacked. We pray for the families who lost so much. We pray, Father, for freedom to reign, not only in our country, but around the globe. Especially freedom of faith. Freedom to worship you, our triune God, as we ought and is right. We pray, Father, that as we come to our elections in November, that the men and women that you desire to be elected would be placed into office, that you would be gracious, you would place them in office for our good rather than our chastisement, that you would show us mercy. And we ask, Father, that our nation would truly look to you and would embrace your Son, Jesus, as Savior. Guide our time, we ask, in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If you've been attending Highland for any length of time, you know that what I'm going to do this week, next, and the week after is very unusual. I don't preach series like this. I preach through biblical books and large passages of Scripture. But this week, I'm going to preach on connectedness connecting one to another. Next week, I'm going to preach on growth, growth in Christ, and the following week on going, going locally and globally with the good news of Jesus. We want Connect, Grow, Go to be much more than a slogan. We want it to be reality because it's biblical truth. Connect, Grow, Go. As I thought about Connect, Grow, Go, I thought about an account that Dr. Barnhouse from 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia shared. He was the pastor there from 1927 to 1960, a wonderful Reformed church. And one particular day, he talked about Mr. Overton and a guy I'm going to call Mr. K because I can't pronounce his last name. Mr. Overton and Mr. K were graduates of the Chicago-Kent School of Law. In fact, they met the very first week that they began law school. They met at the top of a set of stairs, and Mr. Overton was born blind. And so Mr. K guided Mr. Overton down the stairs to safety. As it turned out, 
Mr. K was born without arms. So Mr. Overton carried Mr. K's books. Mr. K read the books to both of them. They were allowed to go to the same classes, to sit next to one another, to aid one another in note-taking, and to aid one another in reading the exams to one another, not to cheat, but so that one and both could write or write down what was on the exam. The day came for graduation, and Mr. Overton graduated first. He was valedictorian. He came to the pulpit, and before he would continue, he insisted that Mr. K come up with him because he was the other half. Mr. Overton and Mr. K graduated together. They were interdependent. They probably couldn't have graduated without one another, and with one another, they were at the top of their class. They then went on to found a law firm together, and they realized that they were much better together than they would ever be apart. That's what God says to us about connectedness. We will never be all that we ought to be in Christ on our own. No man, no woman is an island. No one should spiritually stand alone. As I thought about this, I also thought of a man that's a hero to many of us. He's a social justice hero, and he might be an athletic hero if you're a follower of Major League Baseball. He's the man that broke the color barrier to Major League Baseball. We know him as Jackie Robinson. When Jackie Robinson came up to the bigs, he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and if you know anything about the very early days, he was not well received in our country. Horrifically, no matter what stadium he was introduced in, there came a chorus of boos. Sometimes when he would stretch a single into a double and he would slide into second, opposing players would take their spikes and they would step on his ankles or on his wrists and nobody would say a word. One particular day in his own home park, a ball was hit sharply to him. He misplayed the ball, and the runner got on first base. And a cascade of boos came down from his own fans upon him. And he stood at second base in humiliation, not knowing if he could go on. And Pee Wee Reese, the shortstop, stopped the game and walked over to second base and stood next to him and crossed his arms. And looked at the crowd. It became strangely quiet and embarrassed. And he put his arms around Jackie. And Jackie was later to say that if it had not occurred like that, he would have left the major leagues. Self-reliant, self-dependent, independent man, a world-class athlete. He learned that day what all of us need to learn, that we are spiritually dependent. We need one another. We need connection in the body of Christ. I didn't count them, but I'm told 
that there are 60 verses of Scripture that talk about one another or one another needs with each other. I'm going to read a smattering of them this morning. As I read these, perhaps take one of them and say, maybe this is what God wants me to imply and implement into my life in the next few weeks. Let me read them. Love one another. Love one another deeply. Encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Accept one another. Serve one another in love. Be devoted to one another in Christian love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. These are but a few. You'll notice, by the way, I left out, greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do that at Highland. Just saying. At least I don't do that. You can greet one another, but not me. All of these one another's are necessary in the body of Christ. They're necessary to spur us on in love and good deeds. The truth of the matter is this. Nobody in this room will be anywhere near what God intends for you, for me, for us to be if we think that we can do the Christian walk on our own. God created us to do life together as the body of Christ. I'm going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read verses 12 to 26. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts really do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now I realize the next few verses are not on PowerPoint, but I'm going to read them anyway. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, 
First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administration, various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Of course, the answer to all of that is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. If you and I were working through the book of 1 Corinthians, something we did as a church back in 2005 and 2006, we would note that the word body, the Greek word soma, occurs 27 times in this book. Actually, 17 of those times are in the verses I just read, and an 18th is applied in verse 17. Over and over again, we read that we are the body of Christ. And under normal circumstances, we want our body to work in a unified fashion. Under normal circumstances, we want to be able to skip and chew gum at the same time, right? We want coordination as part of the body. Now, interestingly enough, in just four of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, and note, all four are written to Christian churches. The body is mentioned 33 times, but in those 33 times, that word soma is then expanded with Christu, the body of Christ. We're not just the body we who know Jesus are the body of Christ. How does Christ minister to us? Christ loves us. Christ redeems us through faith in his son. Christ cares for us. Christ loves us. Christ actually prays to the Father on our behalf. Christ listens to us. Christ is available to us. And we are called the body of Christ. So by implication... 33 times in only four books, we are to have the same mannerisms towards one another that Christ has towards us. We need to care for one another, love one another, listen to one another, pray for one another, be there for one another, be available in life, do life together, because that's what Christ does for us. We are the body of Christ. Verse 12 also says that we are one. That's the Greek word "n." We are unified and we have to ask ourselves, is this just something in the text or is it reality in our lives? In a church this size, we have to make the effort to be one. Now, a few minutes ago while you guys were singing, I was preaching our tradition service over in the youth room. And I said to them, out of the five services that make up Highland, they're the most fortunate because there's few of them. And so they actually can be a large group together. We can't do that in this service. Frankly, we can't do that in any of the other three services. We can do it in one out of five, but the other four, it won't work. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we making the effort are we putting forth the effort to be one? Are we in a connection care group? If you're not and you'd like to be, after the service you can go out to the connection point 
and you can talk to them. We're going to try and put together some additional connection care groups, groups that meet maybe twice a month in people's homes, and they do life together. The connection care group that Betty Ann and I are a part of is seven families, and we've been together for three or four years, and we, we share life together. You need that. I need that in my life. Maybe you need to be in a, a small group like a Sunday school class, some of which are too big, but some of which are small enough to do life together. Maybe it's women of real devotion, one of many women's Bible studies that take place during the week, or a number of men's Bible studies in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening that take place on all three campuses. Maybe if you're a single, it's young adults. Or maybe if you're an older single, it's journeys. Or maybe it's part of a ministry group like, like those who lead us in worship or the missions team. We need to do life together. The Bible says that God designed us, he created us to be one. We are to be one body. Now I'm going to give you an illustration and because I'm telling you the story, I'm going to tell you the truth, regardless of what any other person says. So if you hear an alternative view of this story, know that I'm telling you the truth. This summer, my wife was uh, on the East Coast, and some of the young adults were getting together, and they were going to go bowling in a bowling alley. And because I'm about the same age as they are, uh, they invited me to come and uh, I had in my mind's eye the following picture. Now, I don't bowl very often, maybe three, four times a year. But I'm thinking, you know, when we get there, I'm going to find a 16-pound ball. And when it's my turn, I'm going to glide down the lane. I'm going I'm to release that 16-pound ball with holy fury. It's going to go down the aisle, and pins are going to explode everywhere. That's what I said to my body. So there were about five lanes of us or so, I don't know how many, too many to remember. And for whatever reason, they put me first on my lane and I happened to be in the lane that was ready first. So I'm the first person that's bowling. So I pick up a 16 pounder, decide that that was uh, 10 years ago, put it down and got a 14 pounder. <laughs> and uh, remember, uh, I'm telling you how the story really happened. The bowling alley was negligent. If there's a lawyer in the house, we need to talk. And when they had polished the lane, they had left a little oil on the ground. I, I'm certain that this is exactly what happened. And so I picked up this ball, and it's going to be 14 pounds of fury as it goes down. And I get up there, and I went, <laughs> you know exactly what happened. I went and fell on the ground. Now that's not what my mind told my body to do. We were not one. And all these singles are trying not to laugh. And by the way, they haven't invited me to a single thing since. It just ticks me off. So what happened is my mind said strike and my legs said time to embarrass the geezer. And they did not act as one. But God wants better. He wants better in the church of Jesus Christ. He wants Mr. Overton. And he wants Mr. K. He wants individuals who realize that God created us 
without all the spiritual gifts. At the moment in which you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, at that moment, Christ redeemed us. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our future inheritance. But he also gave us one or more spiritual gifts, only two purposes in all of Scripture, to bring glory to God and to build up the body of Christ. He gave us these spiritual gifts, and when we don't use the spiritual giftedness that God has entrusted to us, it's as though we're saying, Lord, I don't want the full package. I'll take my security, I'll take my redemption, I'll take the empowerment of the Spirit, but the gift that you gave me to serve the body and to become connected with the body and to bring glory to your name, I'm not interested in that. Connect, grow, go. It is our responsibility to connect one to another. It is our responsibility to grow in Christ. And it's our responsibility to go with the love of Christ to minister to a world that desperately needs Jesus locally and globally. Connect, grow, go. Much more than a slogan. It ought to be reality in our lives. At the risk of being far too personal, I want to talk about how this works on the staff, the amazing staff that I work alongside with. Now, a lot of these people are part-time. Some work eight hours and 10 hours and 12 hours. But I want you to hear some of the different giftedness. Now, I realize that all of these people have more than one spiritual gift. And I'm just going to lump them into one category each. But I want you to hear how we work together. We have incredible administrative gifts. Jolene and Kathy, Laura and Terry. They can organize anything, even my life. We have people who are blessed with mercy and helps, and, and they have shepherding hearts. Linda and Trudy and Rachel and Sarah and Dan. We have team builders. These are leaders, and they're like the Pied Piper. And when they minister, people follow, and they can, they can garner others to, to do the things that need to be done. Steve and Jared and Jana. We have a trio of exhorters. Exhorters are teachers that also wound with the word of God, and sometimes the wound hurts, but then it has great healing, and it helps us to move along in our spiritual walk. Dave and Ryan and Ken. We have some gifted teachers who, who also can do research, Kirsten and Gretchen. And we have some amazing musicians with Jeff and Brian and Brian and Deborah. And we have a couple that are jacks of all trade, Brandon and Bill. What would happen? What would happen if everyone on the staff was a great administrator, but we had no gifts of teaching? We would be the most organized church anywhere around, and we wouldn't teach the Word of God well. What would happen if everyone on staff were a great shepherd? We'd feel great about ourselves. But we need an exhorter to wound us with the word of God when we wander spiritually and we sin.
God made us to need one another. There's nobody who is a spiritual island. And one of the challenges comes when we try and do life on our own. And we think that we can do the spiritual walk on our own. And all of our social arrangements are not with believers, but unbelievers. And we need a combination of both. But we don't do life with believers as well. And so we have nobody sharpening us, nobody challenging us, no one spurring us up. And Scripture says that is an incomplete picture. Connectedness. We need one another. God designed us for connect, grow, and go. Let me read verses 15 to 20 again. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the eye, or excuse me, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Do you hear that? One's not less a part of the body, but one's not participating in the body. One's robbing the body, but one is still part of the body. God created us to need one another. He created us for the one another phrases. And when we don't act that way, we're still part of the body. But we're not functioning as God designed and we're robbing the body and we're robbing ourselves. Paul's very clear about that. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It seems to be that some Christ followers at Corinth believed the lie that they weren't needed in the body, that they were a second-rate Christian, and because they didn't do things up on the platform, and because they didn't do things publicly, what they had to offer was unimportant. Who set up the chairs this morning? Somebody did. I wonder who came and, and practiced worship long before most of us were at church. A number did. I think of Tony Morisi. Pity the man. Do you know that he has to come at 6.45 to videotape me? And then he has to videotape me again at 8? The guy has to listen to this twice. Pity the man. And if something goes wrong with those two videotapes, he does it a third time during Sunday school hour. And he's got to listen to it three times. Call yourself blessed. Individuals who are behind the scenes do all sorts of things. Gen 180 and One Way Club, they're about to start up. But there's months of preparation. There's months of administration. There's months of individuals pouring themselves into what is going to happen. Volunteers and staff that are paid all working together. So many things are done behind the scenes. And it's proper for me to thank many of you because many of you are the ones that are doing things behind the scenes. Think of the sound people. We only know the sound people exist 
when something goes wrong. Isn't that true? It's like being the goalie for soccer. Nobody pays any attention to you until the ball goes by. It's a thankless job. But one, two, three, four of them have to do it from back there. And in the first hour, it wasn't their fault, but somebody had an electronic device probably in the building and it interfered. And I could see them. They were like scurrying ants back there trying to get this thing settled. And that's why they gave me a second mic now in case one of you have an electronic advice as well. What does Paul say about less visible gifts? Let me read 22 to 25. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. I'm not sure what parts Paul's talking about. Those parts that are not presentable, maybe the lungs, maybe the heart, maybe the liver. But he says they're indispensable. And that's true. So many spiritual giftedness, so many opportunities for interconnectedness are necessary. They're indispensable for the body of Christ to move forward. I think of what Jesus says in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, unless God moves, unless God's spirit moves, nothing we will do in this place matters. Not eternally. And so I think of a few people I know. They're largely shut-ins. They don't get out in the real world. They, they can't, physically not able. And they pray. And they pray that God's spirit will move. And they, they pray that the gospel would go forth locally. They pray that missions would go forth and the gospel globally. And that we could wisely equip individuals all over the world and they pray that when we're faced with sin that we would stand strong and they lift us up and Jesus said you will do nothing unless I'm engaged and so they're not flashy they're not up front but they're engaged in the body of Christ and they're using what God has entrusted to them and they're some of the engine that God uses to minister all over the world. I want to close with the word abunte. I learned abunte from my friend Chris Janke. Chris has gone on several mission trips with Center Shot. Center Shot is a ministry that we use here. Uh, bows and arrows, uh, shooting skills. Um, it's a ministry that's on, I think, two or three of the campuses, and, and Chris leads it. And he's gone to Africa twice with center shot. And he came back with abunte. Let me explain to you how the word is used. An anthropologist was studying an African village, and he wanted to 
to understand what made it tick. And he thought, you know, if I can understand what makes the kids tick, then I'm going to understand what makes the entire village tick. And so he got a basket. He filled it with candy. He went 50 yards away, put the basket against a tree, got a bunch of kids together, and in very American style, he said, I want you to line up, and he drew a line in the dirt, and he said, in a moment, I'm going to say, on your mark, get set, go, and I want you to run the 50 yards to that basket. Whoever gets there first and grabs the basket, you can have all the candy. It's all yours. And so he got them to all line up. He made sure they understood the rules. They did. He said, on your mark, get set, go. And they looked at one another and they reached out their hands and they took one another's hands and they skipped the 50 yards all the way to the tree. They sat down, they passed the basket back and forth until all the kids got candy and they enjoyed it together. And the anthropologist said, what was that all about? And the kids said, abunte. And it was the Nobel Peace Laureate former Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who is now retired, who describes Ubuntu this way. He says it's a life lived together. It's not a life of selfishness. It's a life of interconnectedness. It's a life that realizes you need one another to be all that you ought to be. That's Ubuntu. Well, that African word is the one another phrase in scripture. It's the word and, the one in 1 Corinthians 12. It's the soma, the word body, in 1 Corinthians 12. Abunte, it's the connectedness. Connect one with another. Grow in Christ and go and share the love of Christ locally and globally. Not a slogan, but a biblical reality. Connect grow, go. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we pray as we begin a new ministry year that we would connect with one another, that we would make the effort, be vulnerable and wise to connect with others. Help us to grow in Christ And then to go and share the love of Christ with others. Connect, grow, go, Lord. We don't want to be clever. We don't want a slogan that is memorable. We want something that's biblically true. And we believe this is. And if it is, Father, work it in each of our lives for our betterment and your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.